Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcasters. Another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Um, I am Alex Burr. Once again, joined by my co-host, Dylan Hughes. I don't think I've ever introduced us that way, but fuck it. Here's to something new. Um, Dylan, I don't think I have a curveball for you this time. You have a curveball for me. Ooh. Oh, here. Oh, here is a here is a trivia. Okay. You know, I'm a I'm a well-read man now because that's just what I've become thanks to the pandemic. I'm like, hey, maybe reading is something I should do. Um, I'm very interested in nature now. I want to to guess. This see, this is off the top of my head, so this is not as structured as you usually do it. But let me think. <laughs> maybe I should. Uh, okay, uh, this is really unorganized, but I'm trying to think how to frame this question. So here we go. How do you think rain travels inland to reach places like Indiana? Huh. Well, there's rivers in Indiana. So is that not it? Okay. So and I, I need to, I'm going to give a shout out to this book. It's, God, I can't even think of the name. It's it's a book about trees. I'll just say that. Um, and I'll figure out. I'll go to my Kindle library and figure out the exact name of it. Um, but so basically, you know, water comes in from the ocean, right? And it can actually only travel 400 miles inland. So basically, if we didn't have tr- like trees catch the water and most of it actually gets re-precipitated and that basically keeps water moving down inland so if we had no trees almost see every single piece of land in the world would basically be desert but thanks to trees we have rain it's it's called the hidden life of trees and it's about trees it's about nature like i learned the other day how beavers uh why they build dams I mean, there's a lot of interesting factoids that if you want to impress someone at like a, a dinner cocktail party, whatever they call it, you could drop some gems from the hidden life of tree. So if, if you want a, an interesting, unique book, pick that up. That's very interesting. I would not have uh, that's listen, you know, I wasn't planning on throwing the curveball to you. I obviously did that out of the blue, but I, I learned something new. So thank you. Thank you, Dylan. I, I appreciate that. Um, I have a lot of factoids that I could drop. I mean, listen, the running hook podcast network is never about what it's supposed to be. I mean, me and will on divine rhyme, we talk about golf every week. Okay. Does golf have absolutely anything to do with music? No, not a single thing. It may be two of the furthest subjects you could possibly have. But listen, if you can drop a fact about trees and rain on a basketball podcast, you just got to do it. You know, I, that's the perfect segue. So <laughs> we're here. Um, this is part two 
of our top 100 pod, we're going to be doing players 75 through 51. Um, this pod is going to be dropping. We're recording this at the same time we recorded the first one. But if you haven't checked out the first one, go check out the first one. I thought it was really, really well done. I mean, we just recorded it. We just finished recording 15 minutes ago. So recency you know, bias. <laughs> recency bias to its most extreme nature. Um, but I thought it was really good. Make sure you check that out. Um, also, I forgot to, I've been forgetting to do this. If you have an iPhone or any Apple device and you're listening to this podcast, I don't care if you're not listening on Apple podcasts, go ahead and give us a five-star rating on Apple podcasts. Lots of people still do listen to Apple podcasts. I don't, I stopped, but five stars never hurt anybody. You know, you have an Apple device, you know, maybe if you have an extra Apple device, create an extra Apple ID, you know? And just give us another five stars, you know, juice the ratings that way. We need as many five star ratings as we can. Also, forgot to promote this last episode too. Go check out our YouTube. We're putting some really cool stuff on the YouTube. Dylan's doing some really cool stuff with Divine Rhyme and I'm handling like everything else, but I, we put up a really fun Linsanity clip today talking about coaches on the hot seat, offensive and defensive players. Last week we put up, will the Nets win 65 games from the power hour? So lots of good stuff from the network on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe there if that's, you know, you want like a little sound bites from our podcast. But on to the subject at hand, Dylan Hughes, 75 through 51. Um, we did the criteria. We did the honorable mentions last episode. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it. Who are your 75th through 71st best players in the NBA? 75 coming in with TJ Warren. Okay. Who I, I know you don't have on the list right off the bat. Yes. Listen, he didn't play last year. Was he overinflated in the bubble? Maybe. Maybe. I, I think the possibility of him coming down pretty hard, Tyler Hero style, I would say, wouldn't shock me. I think he has a pretty high floor as a player, though, because he was a much better defender in the Pacers system. And, yes, the coaches have changed, so who knows how that will play out. Dan Burke is gone as the main thing. His shooting has always been good. He's always been pretty good at getting to the rim. Good pull-up shooter. Like, I don't see how he could get really worse. You know, I, I is he going to be um, a 20-point scorer every year? Probably not. Is he going to score 50 points once a season? I doubt it. But he has a very high floor, I, I would say. And also his ceiling is relatively high, too even if he may not get there. So I think he belongs. Dylan Brooks, man. Dylan Brooks, I think has always been a bit underrated, um, but this past season obviously was just amazing. His consistency in the playoffs was tremendous. And that's what really takes him up from being like a 95 to 100 player and where we have him here, where I have him here uh, in the mid-70s. I mean, he – has been a great defender, and he didn't even come out as a defender either. He turned himself into a good defender. He's turned himself into a consistent shooter, at least as of late. So he is on the way up. Karis LeVert, another tough one to plot. You know, the missed a lot of time last year with the, the kidney cancer ordeal. But, man, when he gets in a group, he is one of the better scorers in the league inside the arc. Not a great shooter, but inside the arc, very good good passer. Like I think he's going to be a really nice kind of secondary ball handler for the Pacers this year. Um, so interested to see how that season goes out as well. Steven Adams, Steven Adams 
was on, as we talked about a lot, just a terrible team to watch. He was put in a tough space on offense because there was no spacing. And he had to make up for a lot of bad defenders. I think he did as good a job as he can. I mean, he's got some of the best hands among centers. I think he's always um, gotten a lot of steals, obviously um, good rim protector as well. I, I think he's become a bit underrated in the past few years. And then Tim Hardaway Jr. I mean, Tim Hardaway Jr., kind of like Dylan Brooks, just an awesome playoffs. He's always been a good off-ball shooter and pretty good on-ball scorer as well. But, I mean, this playoffs, man, he was awesome. And to me, he was another guy that was probably closer to the bottom of the list. But with the playoffs like that, you're going to shoot up. Interesting. So, okay. For those, for reference, um, on the last episode, we talked about these guys. I had Dylan Brooks at 80. I had Tim Hardaway Jr. at 80, 84. So, um, I would have had TJ Warren in this exact range if he was healthy, right? I, for, just for a reminder, I left off TJ Warren, Spencer Dinwiddie, Clay Thompson, and Jonathan Isaac from the top 100. Dylan projected them. I just chose not to because I haven't, in Isaac's case, we haven't seen him since the bubble, and I don't know when he's coming back this year. Clay's coming off of, you know, two year absence. Warren, I probably could have slid on there, I'll admit. But I just, you know, I was ideologically consistent here. And same with Dinwiddie. I probably could have slid both of them on there because they both had really good 2019-20s, but I just decided against it. Um, Steven Adams, I think this is our first big disagreement here, I'll say. I just, I didn't think he was particularly great in Oklahoma City the last couple of years. And then obviously last year in New Orleans was a horrible situation. But I just think like, you know, he's kind of lost a step. To me, I think he's lost a step a little bit and he's really smart. So he'll always make up for it that way. But we see when centers start to lose a step, it's kind of like when running backs start to lose a step, you know, like when they start to lose that little bit of athleticism, it's a hard and draining position. And I just feel like, you know, Steven Adams is in the 2014 Chris Johnson range of his career, you know, maybe not that drastic, but like, I just feel like he's centers age worse than they ever did before. And I feel like he's going to be like, if he's not already on the downturn of his career, it's going to start soon. Maybe being in Memphis will help him being with Ja and Ja having a legitimate lob threat. I'll wait to see. I'll wait to pass judgment there, but I just feel like, I don't know. I just didn't like the way Steven Adams played last year personally. Yeah, again, I think the situation made it look worse than it probably was. But I, I tried to harp in on him, and I just – I thought he did as good a job as he could as he could have. I mean, the defense – their defensive scheme was just horrendous. Like, the fact that Stan Van Gundy's gone already, I think, should not surprise anyone because they did not guard the three-point line. They just let everyone really come into the middle, and you, usually the closer people get to the rim, they have a better shot at making it. I don't know if Stan Van Gundy ever uh, sat and thought about that fact, but, you know, the closer to the rim you are, usually you shoot a little bit better. And New Orleans defense showed that that's the case. So I, I we talked all year about how bad of a defender Zion was, and he had to play right next to Zion. Eric Bledsoe didn't care. Brandon Ingram has never really been that great of a defender. Like, I think he was put in a really tough spot. And, like, going back to Rashawn Holmes, like, I think if you put Steven Adams on the Kings, I just think he'd do a better job than, than Rashawn Holmes. I think he's stronger. He's got better hands. He's – I mean, on offense, there's probably not much of a difference. But defensively, I think I would take Steven Adams, and that's kind of where I'd give him the edge. 
you know, I, I can respect that. I think you're right. The situation did him no favors last year. Um, Stan Van Gundy really idolized the way the Bucks play defense. And there's one thing the Bucks have that the Pelicans don't have. The Pelicans don't have Giannis. Okay. That's the reason why they were able to play defense the way they were, you know, in the regular season and in the playoffs, they adjusted. They didn't do the same thing on, on defense in the playoffs. They didn't just allow threes willy nilly. Well, in the heat series, they did, but not in the 2021 playoffs. So I think that, you know, that was a miscalculation by Stan. And also I'd say Brooke Lopez is a better rim protector than Steven Adams. Like just personally, I think that, that he's better on defense than Adams than Holmes. But I think that, I think you're right. I would not be surprised at all to see him have a major bounce back here next year, you know, especially playing with a guy like Ja. I just think, you know, the last couple of years have been uninspiring for me personally. Like I, the 2019-20 Thunder were always weird. <laughs> like that was one of the weirdest teams I think we'll see in a while. You know, you had young Shea Gilgis-Alexander. You had old Chris Paul and Gallo. You had, you know, Lou Dort making a name for himself in the middle of the year. You know, Steven Adams just being around. Um, Mike Muscala getting a lot of minutes inexplicably. So I think that you just had a weird team in 20, 2019, 20, and then you had an even weirder one in 2021. So I'll, I'm not going to write him off completely. You convinced me of that. I just, I feel like if he does bounce back for me, he'd be in like the hundred to 80 range personally. Yeah, I will say Brooke Lopez is probably someone I should have considered more strongly because I didn't have him on the list at all. And, I definitely could could make an argument that he's better than Adams on both ends. So, you know, that's I'll, I'll give you that. But again, I think the counter argument is that Brooke Lopez was on the team that won the finals. You know, it's it's a lot easier to look good when you have some of the best players in the league on your team. And I'm not saying Steven Adams would have played as well as Brooke Lopez because Brooke Lopez's shooting was a big part of that team too, uh, which Steven Adams doesn't have. So. You know, I would mu- I would much more because I didn't have Lopez or Holmes. I would definitely consider Lopez more, and I would consider putting him over Adams. But I don't feel too strong either way. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and also I want to say I'm way higher on Lafred than you are. Apparently, I have oh. him in the top fifty. So before we okay. move, we'll talk about we'll talk more about Lavert next week, but. Let's go ahead and move on to my 75 through 71. So at 75, I have Jared Allen, um, really strong role man, really strong room protector. And I think that he's really solid. He's a really solid center. I'd say he's a top 10 center and he's like the 10th best center. And I think that right now, like some people are saying he got overpaid in the center market. I think that's perfectly fine for a center of his capabilities. 74, I have Marcus Smart. Um you know, we talked about him on the last episode. You had him at 99, I want to say. And I think that, sorry, you had him at 97. So I just think that, you know, the defense he brings and the the offense that he brings, I think that's a really good combination. At 73, based on the way your list is going, I don't know if you have this guy. Um, I have Thad Young at 73. I think he's really good. And I think that he... I think if he gets to a contender next year, he'll really help a contender on defense and on offense. Like he was a really good player for the bulls last year. Like he was, I'd say that was probably the best season of his career last year. Like as crazy as it is to say, like 
he was the only thing holding them together on defense and offense. He took a step forward when <laughs> you didn't think it was possible for Thad to take a step forward. So 72, I have Kyle Anderson. I think he's really good. He's, you know, slow-mo, um, just really, really good pace, really good player, handles the ball well, does everything and shoots and has a jump shot now. And then I have Jake Crowder at 71. I told you my 80 through 71 was like all defensive guys. And just to recap, 80, Marcus Morris, 79, Dylan Brooks, 78, Aaron Gordon, 77, DeAndre Hunter, 76, Harrison Barnes, 75, Jarrett Allen, 74, Marcus Smart, 73, Thad Young, 72, Kyle Anderson, 71, Jay Crowder. Noticing a theme there, Dylan? <laughs> Sounds like a bunch of guys we love. Yes. So uh, any quibbles with that group I just gave you? Yeah, so first of all, I'll say Jay Crowder, I think I said last pod, did not have him. Kyle Anderson was one I considered. I left him off my list as well. I mean, as you can kind of tell, I've favored shooters over non-shooters. And Kyle Anderson, yes, has the capability of, of shooting, but not very reliably, I'd say. I really love his role on the Memphis team, and I love his defense. I love his passing. I love that he can somehow get to the paint despite moving like a snail. Um, I love watching him, but, you know, I just, I always kind of take the more dynamic guys over guys like that. And if I'm building a roster and I need a complimentary player that can handle the ball off the bench, sure, I'd probably take him over Joe Harris or Buddy Heald or whoever. But, you know, it's, it's more about team construct and just on the face of who he is. I love him as a player, but top 100, I think, is a little bit of a stress for me personally. Um, Jared Allen, much higher. He is, like, top 55 for me. Um, I think – I mean, I talked about him last season. I think he was tremendous in, in Brooklyn. And in Cleveland, didn't see much of him, as I said earlier, or last pod. Didn't watch a ton of <laughs> Cleveland last season after the first kind of month or two. So, uh, I mean, he got his bag, and I think it was well-deserved, as you said. So, yeah, I uh, I'm not aside from the two that I've didn't have on the list. I I uh, I feel pretty good about where you have your guys. So, were you higher on Thad than I was? Oh no, I didn't have Thad either. I forgot. Um, you know, uh, the Bulls were another team I didn't watch a ton. Listen, I am a huge Thad guy. I mean, the whole Draymond Green of the East comparisons a few years ago were right up my alley. I mean, that was, I should have got a tattoo of it. I really should have because I loved, I was drinking it up. Regular season Thad Young with the Pacers was so fun. And I almost want to go back and watch Bulls games now because for you to say it may have been his best season, I think says a lot because he had a few years in Indiana where he was magnificent really on both ends. Um, so I love that pick again. It, it was um, a guy I'd maybe consider later on if I went back and redid my list, but I, I love that he, he makes it for you. So 20, 2021 to 2019 comparison points per game, practically a wash 12 points a game each season, um, six rebounds a game each season. He didn't have more steals in 2019, he had 1.5 to 1.1 steals, but the assists, 4.3 assists a game compared to 2.5 in 2019. Now, obviously, wow. he didn't have the ball in his hands as much because the 2019 Pacers were objectively a better team than the 2021 Bulls. But 
I think the fact that he stepped up and, you know, handled the responsibility, that's like 4.3. His career high was 2.5 before he got to Chicago this year. Or technically, he played in Chicago last year, but his first year with no Boylan. So I thought, I think if he gets traded to a team, I think the Suns are in pursuit of Thad Young. And if they get Thad, you know, you can get Thad for Dario Saric in a first. Maybe even a couple seconds. Like, I would do it if I'm the Suns. And that way, you your defensive lineup just gets crazy stout. Like, yeah, he can't really shoot. He's never been able to shoot. But I don't think he needs to. Like, especially if he's playing with, like, a stretch five. I, there's no stretch five to be seen in um, San Antonio, obviously. But... Or, well, Zach Collins, but if he actually sees the floor. Um, I think that he could really benefit a contender, though. Like, just with the ball moving, with the defense. I think the defense is still where it was in Indiana. Like, he should have made all-defensive team in 2019. I don't think he was going to make all-defense in 2021. But on offense, I think he made up for the defense that he didn't have compared to 2019. Yeah, Phoenix would be an awesome landing spot. Their center depth was horrible this year, and they got JaVale McGee, which helped, but getting Thad, I think, would fortify that even more. I would love that, and I think you should absolutely give up, you know, first if that's what it takes because Chris Paul is about to die, man. In NBA terms, like, he's he's almost done. Like, you got to go in now. The rest of the team is very young, but load up because, as we've talked about recently – the West is still kind of wide open at this point. Don't love the Lakers. Don't love the Clippers. I mean, the Suns are the team we should really watch out for. They just made the finals. And I think I think they've already gotten better this offseason, but getting Thad would be a tremendous get because Saric is not going to play. So that's kind of a wash right there. Like, you're not losing much except the first. Think about a defensive lineup with – let's just throw Chris Paul out there. Let's do Mikhail Bridges – um, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, and Thad Young. Like, that's a legitimately, you can switch two through five. Obviously, you can't switch the one. You'll get eaten alive, but there's a chance Chris Paul might steal it from you, too. I think that they should do it. I think that Thad can't be traded until October. So I wouldn't be surprised if, like, in December, we see him traded to Phoenix. I think Phoenix is the obvious destination unless Brooklyn just somehow steals them because they're getting everybody apparently. But yeah, I think that someone will be really glad to have Thad. And I think that that'll be interesting to see where he lands. Cause he's not going to, I'll tell you this. He is not going to be in San Antonio when the season's over. I, I can pretty much guarantee that San Antonio is going to tank. They're going to suck. They have one player on my top 100. And he will be mentioned in this episode. So <laughs> that is not looking good for them. Um, but let's move on to your next five. Who do you have at 70 through 66? So right off the bat, Rui Hachimura just really grew on me this year. And your surprise makes me think you didn't even have him on your list. I did not. Yeah. I, I, I think, Go ahead. Cause I'm, you could talk me into this. I think he, on both ends of the floor, is he really impressed me last season. I mean, the Wizards were technically a playoff team. Like, they got the eighth seed, basically. So, he was the third banana on a playoff team. You know, like, 
that I know it's stretching it a bit to say that, but as a second year guy, I mean, I think he played really well. Like his defense was actually pretty good and in the paint, especially I didn't really watch him on the perimeter much, but he's really strong down low. Like I think he could actually guard some centers. Um, again, Joel Embiid, no, but some of the smaller guys, and I'll just say no one can guard Joel Embiid. So it's not even fair that I keep throwing that name out there, but I mean, I think he's strong enough to be able to take on a lot of, of big power forward, small centers. Um, again, on the perimeter, we'll have to see. But his shooting was very good. And playing with Russell Westbrook definitely helped that because Westbrook uh, has been pretty good for shooters in his career, I'd say. Um, he's really good down low. I mean, he's a good rebounder, pretty efficient in the paint. Like, I just liked what I saw. And, and I think the passing was a little bit better than I expected, too. So I'm a big fan of him moving forward. Um, Yusuf Nurkic is next. I just think Nurkic is is awesome. I think he's awesome on both ends. He has had to kind of, like Covington, has had to make up for bad defenses in Portland, and it may kind of shine negatively on him. But, man, there's a lot of ground to cover, and there's only so much you can do as a center. I think he's done as much as he can. He's a beast on low on offense. Like, he's a good passer. I just think he's a guy that's hopefully going to hang around for a while because I think he's really solid. R.J. Barrett, as I as we talked about last pod, I'm higher than Alex. I just – I think in a better construct, he would be a lot better. He got more efficient last year. He was picking his, his spots a lot better, which is – you have to do that as a second-year player. If you keep shooting bad shots, you're just not going to make it. And I think his he got a lot smarter. His passing is very good. His size is good. Defensively, like, maybe not going to expect too much out of him, but he has the size to at least be able to compete, which is good. Um, Bojan Bogdanovich, I mean, just going to plug him into any team in the league, and he's going to drop – 30 and he'll have no other stats like no rebounds no assists but the dude is is still electric from three and then his teammate next Mike Conley I mean he's definitely taken a tumble but I mean I think the reason I have him here you can maybe argue he'd go a little bit lower but he like when the Jazz did not have Conley at the beginning of the playoffs Mitchell looked terrible he looked terrible. When you put Conley next to him, all of a sudden, all those holes are filled. I mean, he definitely doesn't have what he used to have in Memphis, especially, but he's a problem solver. And that's what you want out of a point guard. He's probably the most underrated point guard of our generation. I really think he's at least in that conversation because he made one all-star team and it was an injury replacement. Like that's, he's been so good for so long. And yes, he's not that guy anymore, but I still think he plays a very important role on this team. And, you know, you could even make an argument. He probably should go higher, which I feel like you're going to make that argument. Uh, but I feel pretty comfortable with him right here. Listen, Kyle Lowry is probably my favorite point guard in the league. Mike Conley is probably a very close second. I've always been a Mike Conley guy. And yes, I do have him higher. He's in my top 40. Um, you're right. I did not have Rui Hachimura in my top 100, but you kind of can... <laughs> I can get with your case. I'll say that. I'm not like, you know, what? You know, I'm not like going like this dude's crazy. Um, Nurkic, I have in the top 60. So pretty close to each other. I have, obviously I have RJ at 82. 
I have Boyan in the exact same spot that you do. Oh, good. <laughs> like, so <laughs> I think that's the first one we've had exactly the same. Um, and that's just about right for him. You know, he's a really good shooter. He's a really good, you know, there's a really good complimentary player and he was really good in the playoffs. I mean, the defense sucks, but everyone on Utah sucked we on defense. We don't care about for, defense here anymore. We're, we're over it. Conley was the only good defender and he missed a good portion of that Clippers series. Um, so Hachimura is real interesting to me as a prospect. I think him playing with Westbrook actually was really good for him. Like that was a guy that was being set up by Russ, but he shows like, you know, for the ninth pick in the draft, getting a six, nine, two guy who has a little bit of shooting. He's not the best shooter, but getting that guy who can play defense. That's a great get at the ninth pick. Um, Nurkic, you know, I favorably compare him to Joakim Noah. So, you know, I'm going to love that guy because I love Joe. So yeah, I love Nurkic. I have him like a little, like 10 to 11 spots higher, but like, you know, not that much of a difference. Barry, I think what you said about him and what I said about him, we both, what I liked about this is we both noticed the huge improvements. I brought up last episode that I liked, you know, the improvement in the, you know, in the efficiency and the defense. And you brought up how you like the holding back, not, not holding back. What was the exact phrase you used with how you liked his improvement? Just say he's finding his spots better. Yeah. Kind of like, thing. Like that's, I think the fact that we could see his improvement in two completely different areas, but we're both right. <laughs> like, I think that, you know, you're right. If he was in, if you threw him in Memphis, I think he'd do a great job, right? Like he'd have a lot more space. He'd, I, I don't think he'd take them to where Jaws taking them, but he'd look, I just think it's safe to say if you put him on a team with spacing and he was like the only guy, I think he could average 25 points a game. I don't think that's unreasonable at all. I think he's a really talented scorer. I've always loved his footwork. I've always loved his ability to get to the rim. And if he has actual space, he'll be able to actually make layups next year. And Conley, I just think Conley is really still a great point guard. Not like top tier, but like he's in that next tier down for me, like of the, you know, top point guards. Like he's in like eight to 12 range because the point guard position is just so deep right now. It's, it's absolutely ridiculously deep, but I think he's, you know, he's still a great shooter. It's a great, he interconnects his teammates really well. He's always been one of the smartest players in basketball to me. And his defense is still really great. Just to me personally. Yeah. I mean, looking ahead on my list, like I may have not given him enough credit, just kind of looking at the guards I have coming up, but maybe it's because um, maybe I'm overweighting his slippage a little bit over the past few years. Cause it, it is kind of tough to compare a once you know, all-star level guy to what he is now, um, which is, you know, noticeably different than what he used to be, but still kind of the same type of player, but just not as effective. I mean, his scoring is definitely um, not what it was, but I still think as a setup guy and as a defender, yeah, he he is one of the best. And yeah, I, I think looking at my list so far, he may be the one that I'm probably off on the most, I'll say, because I, I can make an argument for everyone I have so far and everyone I don't have. Um, but Conley, looking around, I probably could have bumped him up, you know, maybe not as high as you have, but I could have bumped him up into that next tier probably. 
And it's it's understandable. You know, he had a really bad first year in Utah. There's no going around that. Like, he was just not great. He was dealing with injuries, and he'd never – I mean, when the only center you play with in your career is Marc Gasol, then you go to Rudy Gobert. I don't think there could be a more drastic switch in terms of playing styles. Like one of those guys likes to, you know, pop out to the three point line, you know, maybe shoot it, maybe not. The other guy is like, no, you have to give me lobs. Otherwise, I'm practically useless on offense. So, yeah, I understand why the adjustment. But in 2021, I thought he made the adjustment perfectly. And I thought that he looked really good when he played. And I thought he was a worthy all star even if it was a replacement, you know, I thought like, I don't remember who he replaced, but when he got the all-star nod, I'm like, thank God he, you know, he deserves it this year. He was playing really well. Um, Career high in three point percentage on six attempts a game. You know, obviously that Utah team loves the gun threes, but I just thought he was really good shooting the ball, moving the ball. I just think, you know, he's an invaluable part of a team when it comes to that kind of stuff for me, at least. Yeah, and it's funny to think that it took this long for him to become an all-star because I think if he played for, like, Charlotte his whole career or Washington or something, he would have made, like, seven all-star teams probably. Like, I, I just think the the West point guard depth, like, those point guards pretty much never leave. Chris Paul, always been in the West. Russell Westbrook was except for this past year, and now he's back. Steph Curry, you know, like – these guys just hang around and, and Chris Paul or and Mike Conley has had to compete against undoubtable hall of famers for his entire career. And you look at the East and it's like, okay, Jeff Teague made like what two all-star teams like Kyrie Irving's pretty good. Kyle Lowry's pretty good. But if Mike Conley was on Detroit, I think he would have easily made way more all-star teams. So it really is just kind of a bad luck break for him. I don't think it's indicative of how his career has gone at all. But, yeah, I'm happy he was finally able to make it this year. So let's just do this. In 2017, he averaged 20 points and six assists a game, right? For Memphis, who I believe they made the playoffs that year. I think – let's just actually check. They were the seventh seed that year. So that was a down year for them. But let's check the all-star – the West all-star guards, because we'll see what he was dealing with. So Steph Curry was one of the guards, um, James Harden, Clay Thompson, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul didn't even make it this year. <laughs> like the, what the guard depth in the West was so ridiculous for so many years. And it's still ridiculous, but not to the degree that it was in like 2017. Yeah, you're right. If Mike Conley played in Charlotte all those years, he's making at least five, Right. Isaiah Thomas, no disrespect. Like Isaiah Thomas in the West didn't cut it the same way he did in the East. So I think that, yeah, if he, I think it's safe to say we probably both think in his prime, he was better than Kemba. Like if he takes Kemba's spot in Charlotte, like imagine how many all-star games he makes, but it's just his luck. But yeah, I'm glad he made one. Um, (laughs) I think it's enough time spent on Mike Conley. Let's go to my 70 through 65. So actually you've mentioned all these guys. So I'm higher than all these guys than you are, except this, the first one, the first one I mentioned is John Collins, who you're surely higher on than I am. Uh, 69 is Norm Powell, who we talked about last episode. Um, 68 is Bogdan Bogdanovich. 
67 is Boyan Bogdanovich, and 66 is Robert Covington. Collins took a massive step forward for me in the playoffs. I had him in like the 80s on my first draft, but he did such like a good job filling the you know small things role and being dynamic on both sides that I moved him up to 70. Um, Pal was way higher when I first started, but then I'm like, yeah, I have him way too high. He's done it for like one year. But I think 69 is still a good spot for him. Bogdan, I'm a lot higher on than you are. I just love the way he plays, his complimentary skill set, and, you know, the way he can be primary when you need him to. You know, like, obviously, you don't want him being the, like, first option. But, like, as the second option, I think he looked great this year. Bojan, we just talked about, so we don't need to talk about him. Then Covington, listen, is he overrated as an on-ball defender? Yeah. But he's probably the best forward help defender that's not named Draymond Green. I would say just like what he can do off ball is really impactful. He made the Timberwolves in 2000 before he was traded to, I don't even remember. He's been on before he was traded to Houston in 2019. He, or was that 2020? I see. I can't even remember. He's been on so many teams, but he was a really impactful defender. He made the Minnesota Timberwolves with Carl Anthony towns, a decent defense when he was on the floor. I mean, that's, I think that's all I really need to say. Like Dame and CJ are terrible point guard defenders or they're terrible guard defenders. So yeah, the Blazers defense sucked, but I think Covington's defense, like next year, I think the defensive talent on that roster, they might actually have an average defense. And I think that that's a really, you know, I think Covington will play a huge part in that and Nurkic, like you mentioned earlier, I have Nurkic higher, but I think that, both of those guys will have a huge impact on Portland's defense, maybe taking a step forward in the regular season next year. Yeah. I mean, Covington, I get, I just, there's just been kind of a stagnation with him. And, and this is just me being a a pesky bitch, I think, but he's been, he's been the same player his whole career, which is great. Like if you can have a player that's consistent like that, that's awesome. And, he was worth the package he got. He's very, you know, I, I think I think he's become kind of underrated because of that. And I probably underrated him too. Um, but, you know, I I still love him as a player. I, you know, I, I'm fine with where you have him because I understand it. Again, I think he's a really nice fit. And I think if I made this list last year after the way he played in Houston, I think I would have been a lot higher on him. Because, man, he took on a load for Houston. I mean, that dude was literally guarding centers, like literally guarding centers. And that is something not a lot of defenders can do. So, hell, even some centers can't guard centers. So the fact that he could do it said a lot. And Portland was just weird to me this year. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I may be undervaluing him a little bit, but. I definitely get why you have him there. And, and I'll say, yeah, I'm higher on Collins. I guess if we swapped Conley and Collins, we're kind of close enough with those two. But, um, but yeah, I, I'll get to that later on. But, yeah, I, I don't have much to say because I already talked about all, my, all the guys you mentioned. So. Exactly. Exactly. Go check out the, um, the last pod if you want to hear Dylan's thoughts on Covington, Bogdan, or Bogdan Bogdanovich, and Norm Powell because he had all three of those guys on his last – on his last, on the last episode. So um, your 65th player through 61st player, Dylan. So this first one, I think maybe a jaw dropper and I'm a little uncomfortable with it right now after going back and looking at some stats, but 
part of me is okay with it. Um, I have Pascal Siakam here. Wow. I just, the three point shooting, it just collapses his game so much. And I'm interested to see this year. I, I think him playing with Kawhi just made him such an easier, it made his job so much easier. He could play. I mean, he was a good on ball player. Like I'm not going to act like he wasn't, but the defensive attention was just so different. He could beat the third or fourth best defender off the dribble pretty easily because the other guys are worrying about Van Vliet and Lowry and, and Kawhi. And last season, yes, like his passing got a lot better. I'll give him that. Um, his scoring went up or it may have went down a little bit. It, uh, yeah, it, it went was down. basically the same. It was it like was, 23 to 21. Yeah, it was just a small drop. I'm not going to give him too much flack for that because um, he shot a little bit less too. But the three-point shooting is a big thing for me because if, if I'm going to put you in the top 50 range, you have to be like a pretty reliable player on both sides of the floor. Like looking at the guys I have ahead of him, I again, I could probably move him up. Like the name I'm about to mention next is going to feel disrespectful that I have him below him. So I, I may be a little bit too low on him, but the three point shooting to me was just a major change in, in how I saw him as a player because he went from being an MVP candidate when Kawhi was there to like a nice second piece on a decent team. Like I just, I think it's my, the hype is fizzled a bit with him. So we can talk about him more later. Um, I have CJ McCollum next. Again, it feels a little bit disrespectful to put him above Pascal, like looking back. But McCollum, again, I think situationally, we've been talking all offseason about him on Philly. Him on Philly, I think, is way better player than him on Portland. Because when you're playing with, oh, I don't know, the second best point guard of like the past six years, it you become a secondary creator when if he's – the main guy with Joel Embiid, I think he looks a lot better. And yeah, the defense sucks. I don't really care about that. Like his ceiling as a scorer is very good. And I just think the the Portland team construct kind of mutes him a little bit. He's still been good, but I think he could be better elsewhere. So I'm kind of giving him uh benefit of the doubt there. The next is Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris like, I'm going to actually defend this with putting him over Siakam because I actually think that they'd probably be similar. And in, like, the end of a game, we have spent a lot of time trashing Tobias because he sucked, frankly, uh, this past season, especially in the playoffs. But uh, you could still rely on him for a bucket at the end of games. Like, in that Hawks season or series – when Ben Simmons refused, who Ben Simmons is higher on this list, by the way, and he should be, but Tobias Harris was at least trying to get buckets. Ben Simmons was like, oh, I'll pass it to someone else. Like, I like that Tobias Harris at least has the ability to score. And I think the game seven against the Hawks, he was like eight of 24, but he scored like six points in the final five minutes of that game or something like that. Like, I can at least rely on him to get a bucket and maybe hit an open three here and there. Like, again, he's probably not actually better than Siakam, but just recency bias a little bit, I'm going to take Tobias Harris, even though Tobias Harris recently sucked too. I just – I feel like I, – I like guys that can score at the end of a game. That's that's just where – I'm going to give someone like that more weight. 
The next, Derrick Rose. Okay. Derrick Rose was awesome this year. He's been awesome for a few years, really. I mean, without him, the Knicks would have easily been swept. Easily. I mean, they had no shot creation. Their superstar, Julius Randle, who, yes, is higher on this list as well, uh, he did nothing. He's averaged, like, what, 36% the series? Worthless. R.J. Barrett wasn't as bad, but he wasn't great either. Derrick Rose got buckets, and... I mean, he's obviously not what he used to be, but I, I was thinking about this recently. We've been having this question, is Derrick Rose going to be the only MVP to not make the Hall of Fame? And it was pretty easily a yes a few years ago, I think. But he's just he – rack, he's racking up points now. Like, when all is said and done, the that points list is like, well, Derrick Rose actually scored a lot of points in his career. And he's recovered from a lot of knee trauma. And he is still a very reliable bucket. So – Maybe a tad high on him. I don't know. But I, I just think he – I think he was awesome this past year. And, and that playoff series majorly bumped him up for me. And then the last, DeJounte Murray. DeJounte Murray, I think, is going to be DeMar DeRozan. Probably a better defending one, you would hope. Um, I mean, he's probably already done more on defense than DeMar will ever do. But offensively, mainly, he's never going to be a good shooter. He's a great passer, and he's good at getting to his spots in the mid-range. So I, I, he's pretty projectable for that kind of a game. So I think this is a pretty good range for him. Like, the names before it, I feel like I could fluctuate around, but this feels like a good spot for Murray where you know what you're going to get from him. It's not going to be that high of a ceiling, but the floor is high enough where, you know, he's, he's a pretty reliable guy. So, Okay. Oh, buddy, I have to put on my Raptors Homer hat, don't I? Oh, <laughs> man. Listen, the Pascal Siakam thing, I am genuinely shocked. Like, wow. Okay, first of all, all right, let's just go through the guys real quick. So I have Pascal Siakam in the top 35. I have him over Ben Simmons. I have him over... Right now, if I was doing a 2016 redraft, based on my current player rankings, he would go third in the 2018 redraft. I have him over Brandon Ingram. I have him over Ben Simmons. I have him just behind Murray and um, Jalen Brown. Not just behind, but in the same vicinity. So I understand the concerns about not being a first option with Siakam. But my thing is he does everything else so, so well that he makes up for it. And yeah, if you have like, so I'll just tell you right now, I have him at 31. If you have the 31st player, odds are that guy's not going to lead you to a championship. If that guy's the second best player on your team, you were in a great fucking spot. And I think that he is the perfect second option on a championship team. He guards well. That dude is a pest on defense. I've seen him change so many games on the defensive end, right? He can pass. He can rebound. He can block shots. He can steal the ball. He is such a well-rounded player to me that I think that he is just... Again, I don't think he's one of the 30 best players in basketball, but at 31, if you're doing a fantasy draft and you pick KD first and you pick Pascal Siakam to be next to him, I mean, that's great. If you have Steph Curry and you pick Pascal Siakam to be next to him, I think that's great. Jokic, Pascal Siakam right next to him. I think that's great. Yeah, he's not going to look great probably the next couple of years in Toronto. I'll grant that because there's going to be no 
definitive first option, just like there's always hasn't been since Kawhi left. Right. I think he, hell, I think he'd look good next to DeMar DeRozan right now. I just think that who I have lower on my list than I have Pascal. I just think Pascal's really, really talented, like super duper talented. And I'm not going to lie, Dylan, the Toronto fan in me is feeling a little, feel disrespected. Listen, I'm looking at my list. The best I can do is top 50. Like I, I will concede that I'm probably too low, but looking at like the guy I have at 31, no way I take Pascal over him. And like that, really the whole row, I just like Ben Simmons. Again, I am in no place to defend Ben Simmons. So you can say what you want about him. Everyone else. I just feel if, if I'm trying to win a basketball game this year, I just feel better about team building wise, having those guys, because there's just a, like, as far as role, I don't really know what Siakam is supposed to be. That That's my problem because I think he kind of projects to be like a complimentary scorer and scoring 21, 22 points a game says that too. But, you know, in the playoffs, when you can really crack down on the fact that he can't shoot, I mean, he's, he's going to turn into Julius Randle where he's passing to other guys the whole game. That, that's kind of what I see. We haven't seen that because they didn't make the playoffs last year, and maybe we'll get a chance this year. But I don't know. Like, again, I'll concede the fact that I'm too low. But in, in the top 35 range, I, I think that's too high for me. So I think Pascal – what was the main conversation we had about Giannis last year? He's not playing enough five. That conversation should be had about Pascal Siakam too. And I don't know if it's just like, he's only ever played with Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka, but, and I'm not saying he's Giannis, right? I, let me make that perfectly clear. But I think if you threw him at the five, it would look a lot better for you than what it is now. And how willing is he to play the five? Who's to say? But if, like, he is one of the more athletic players in the league, he can get, you know, not to his spots. Like, I'm not saying, you know, he's like fucking Carmelo in New York. But I think that Pascal, you know, you put him at the five and you run like a trapping offense or trapping defense, you are going to not get force a lot of turnovers, which the Raptors love. And you are going to have a dynamic threat at the five position that you just, that not a lot of teams have, like, I would say Cat is more dynamic than him. Bam, Jokic and Beat, obviously. But other than that, like I'd say a DeMontis Sabonis level player on offense at center. Again, at center. I think at, if he's playing the four, he's worse. But I think that if you try that at center, he could be a, like a legitimately impactful player in the league. I mean, the, the five argument is obviously one I cannot possibly disagree with considering – that my entire season was spent clamoring for Giannis at the five. I'm always going to look for guys like that that can't shoot but are very good passers and very good in the paint to play the five. I think it's a no-brainer. And we just saw Giannis win the finals doing that. And by the way, Bud has not sent us like any sort of gift. I don't know what this dude's problem is. Like, I, I did not hear a single person talk about Giannis at the five until the playoffs rolled around or maybe the end of the regular season, we were literally talking about it in January. And I mean, maybe Bud was saving it. I don't know, but I think we were talking about this last year's playoffs too. So no excuses for, for anyone. I need a gift on my doorstep by next week. 
or I'm removing my Bucks fandom, whatever amount I have. But I mean, yeah, I think that's a good argument that Siakam at the five would be a game changer. I agree with that because he's good with the ball in his hands, but he can't shoot. And the obvious fix is to put him at the five. So I'll give you that. But until that happens, I'm, I'm just going to be lower on him than you. I just think I just need to see because it seems like every year has been different for him so far. And that's that's why I'm kind of like trying to figure out what exactly role he should play on a team. And the team has changed, so it's going to be interesting to see how it works. But there's just a little bit too much to figure out for me right now. I also I, I will say. Last year was a really weird year for the Raptors. Really weird. They played all their home games in Tampa. Like, they didn't have any... Like, the other teams, at least, you know, had some semblance of home court advantage, right? Like, home court advantage, I don't think existed in the same way it did last year as compared to other years. But it was just a really weird year where, you know, Lowry was out half the time either due to, you know, load management or, you know, just like, hey, I'm done. You know, just sit me and then we'll we'll have that. Um, OG missed a lot of time. Fred missed a lot of time. Norm got traded halfway through the year. I think it was a really weird year in Toronto. And I think that, you know, obviously what I'm not saying and what probably should be said is that Jalen Brown ate his lunch in the 2020 playoffs. I I can't deny that. Right. But I'm not out here claiming, you know, Oh, Pascal is going to figure out Jalen Brown. I don't think he will, but I don't think you should put, if you're putting Pascal Siakam in that position, you're in the wrong spot, right? Like you need to have like an actual shot creator next to him. I think it could be a situation where Pascal is the best player on the team, but he's not taking the last shots, right? Like, because he's just not a good enough shot creator, but he does. I, this is my thing with Pascal. He does so many things. Well, he's such a, like, I'd say elite defensive player, right? I, I thought he deserved like defensive player of the year consideration in 2020. I really did. Like he was really elite on that end. And then, you know, all the stuff he does on offense, he's not the best passer, but he could pass. He's not like the best. I think the jump shot might recover next year. If they're playing all their games in Toronto, who's to say, but he, I think I'm kind of willing to disc. He remember I was talking to you in the last episode about benefit of the doubt guys, like with Kemba, all the Raptors players are major benefit of the doubt players this season. Like all every single one of them, because they were just playing in really an unprecedented situation that was kind of unfair compared to the rest of the league. So yeah, if things are the same this year as they were last year, I'm more inclined to bump Pascal down the ratings. But for now, I'm just like, okay, in 2020, he was a legitimate, like he deserved that all NBA second team selection that he got in 20, then 2019, 20, he really did. And yeah, the playoffs suck for him, but I just think he's a really talented player. And I think that being in Toronto next year will help them a lot. Well, if it makes you feel better, I, I still have two Raptors ahead of us. So I hope I can regain your trust and I'm sure you'll still be higher on the guys, but you know, we're, I, I hope I can at least make it up to you in that way. So let's just run through the rest of your guys real quick. I did not. Um, oh, okay. CJ, I had in the top 50. I still think, you know, he's really good. I, you're right. The situation does suck. So I understand why you put him in the sixties. Um, I had Tobias and DeJounte. I actually had Tobias let me pull up my list again, just to double check. Yeah. I had Tobias at 62 and DeJounte at 63. Um, so I'll bring, I'll talk about those guys in a second. I did not have Derek on my list, but I considered him. Um, I would have had him lower if I had him on the list, but the playoffs, he was electric. Like he, there was no one on the Hawks that could stop him. 
and he was just doing great. And I don't think, trust me, I watched not every game, but almost every game of that 2011 season. He's never getting back there. But if he can be how he was in like 2015 on a consistent basis, that's a pretty damn good player. I'll say like, I think, you know, the, they gave him a good contract. I really like the Rose contract for them, especially with the team option, like especially with the team option. And he was really good in the playoffs. So I can't fault you for that. Um, in the interest of time, because we spent a lot of time on Pascal there, uh, my 65 through 60. So a guy you already talked about Darius Garland in the last episode. And I do have Sexton ahead of him. Um, 64 miles Turner. Mm. 63 DeJounte Murray, 62 Tobias Harris, 61 Anthony Edwards. So Mm. I think so. Okay. Let's start with, let's start with the two guys you had just to clear this up. I really like the DeRozan comparison for from you for Murray. He can't shoot threes, but he's deadly for mid range. I really, I really like that comparison actually a lot. And if he plays defense, or if he keeps at this defensive level, he might end up being better than DeMar when all is said and done. Um, Tobias, I have a lot of issues with him, but you're not wrong. At least he was actually shooting in the playoffs. I can't deny that. Like, he had a really, really troubling, not troubling. He's just not as good as people want him to be. And that's not his fault. Like, yeah. he's not, if you're expecting some first option kind of guy, you're mistaken, right? Again, if we're following the fantasy draft format of this, let's just say for whatever reason, you have the first 31st and 62nd pick in the draft for like, it, I don't know how that would work, but you get Katie Pascal and Tobias. I think you're in a really, you're really happy with Tobias as your third guy. Right. So I think that him as a third guy is fine. The problem is Ben hasn't let him be the third guy. And I'd say that's been his biggest, it's not even Tobias's fault. Cause how can that be his fault? But I think that, um, yeah, Tobias is really good. Darius, um, you brought it up last episode. He has, I think, I think we both agree more potential than Sexton, but he's not better than Sexton is right now. Just isn't like Sexton is a killer scorer with killer efficiency. And Garland has a lot of pull up potential and really good passing potential. I'll say miles. Um, one of the best rim protectors, not named Rudy in the league, just really good. And with the outside shooting, um, I'm, I think he's going to have a breakout year under Carlisle. I really do. And then Edwards, um, what a, what a player. <laughs> it hurt me to have him at 61. I'll say this is when the choices started getting painful and just like a fucking pit bull getting to the rim. Um, <laughs> he's going to be so exciting to watch next year. And so what do you object to in my 65 to 61 range? So I'm a bit higher in Edwards and Turner. They're in my next group coming up. So not too far off. Um, and then, you know, Tobias and DeJounte just talked about who was the other one. Garland. The other one was Garland. Yeah. And I talked about him. So you're higher in Garland than me, which I think I, we expected probably. Um, it'll be interesting to see where we both land on Sexton, but yeah, I mean, I it's it's funny we have a huge disagreement, and then the other guys were pretty close on actually. <laughs> yeah, it's like we'll talk more about the Edwards and Turner when we get there. But I'm assuming, you know, listen, I'm just really high on Darius Garland. You know, I'm a huge Garland guy, so I you can't be surprised that I have him much higher than you do. Like, and not much higher, 
but you can't be, you're not surprised by that at all. I know. So let's go ahead and move on to your 60 through 56. Who do you have at 60 through 56, Dylan? So speaking of 60, I have Colin Sexton. Okay. Uh, I mean, just one of the really surprising, um, as far as efficiency, I mean, he's just been like a, a three level score, like efficient point guards. Don't do that. You know, we talked about this with De'Aaron Fox a couple of years ago when his second year, he was just all of a sudden a good, good score efficient. John Morant has become that it's, it's kind of been weird how all of a sudden point guards are just efficient when they're young. Like this is, this is really new in my time of being a basketball fan that, that young point guards are just all of a sudden efficient scores. It's really odd. And I guess Colin Sexton makes the most sense out of those three specifically because he's just so strong. I mean, he has been strong since he was in college and I'm sure he's gotten stronger in the NBA. It's like, it doesn't matter whether you're this veteran point guard defender or you're some young kid, like Colin Sexton is going to beat you because this is what he does. You know, he gets buckets and it's fun to watch. And I'm fascinated to see how the, the contract situation turns out because apparently Cleveland doesn't want him. I can't figure out what the problem is. (laughs) I'm sure there's some behind the scenes stuff we don't know about, but I, I just think he's awesome and he's not as good on defense as he was in college, uh, which is a little disappointing. I think he'd be, he could be a top 30 player if his defense is better, but you know, it is what it is. Um, we'll see. He has more talent around him now. Maybe that'll help. Next is Harrison Barnes, who you talked about already. Harrison Barnes, man, like he's kind of like the Thad Young for me. Just plug him in, man. He's obviously a better shooter, but the dude can fulfill a role. Like I love a guy that can fulfill a role. I mean, he's much better than Tobias Harris. Like again, the Siakam thing is, is something we're going to swing back and forth on. I'll probably regret it within like the first week of the season, but I just feel more comfortable with what Tobias Harris is on both ends of the floor right now. And I think if you throw, if you like exchange Tobias out for him in Philly and you throw CJ McCollum on there while we're at it, I mean, I think that's a damn good team. You know, you've got a bunch of guys that know what they're doing and they know how to play their role and you've got a winning team. And I think Harrison Barnes is just a winning player. Uh, Next is Terry Rozier. I mean, Terry Rozier, it's just amazing looking back to that Celtics team, how the kind of, I don't know what the word is, but the, the cycle of point guards we've had here, if they just kept Terry Rozier from the start, they'd be in a great spot. You know, they they dump him for Kyrie and then they dump him for Kemba. And now they got Dennis Schroeder, who's probably going to leave next year. You know, they and then you got Isaiah Thomas at the beginning of that, too. But I mean, Rozier has been awesome in Charlotte. I've really loved watching him and his his three point ball. That's been the biggest jump in his game, I think. But he has just become really solid, really, on both sides of the floor. Um, Next is Miles Turner. Again, shocker that I'm higher on him than you as the resident Pacers fan here. But the the numbers don't show it. And I know this because I was just looking uh, yesterday, actually. But it looks like he's not a good shooter. It looks like he's not a good passer. But you have to realize he's the fourth option at best on this team. This team has evolved to a bunch of ball handlers, a bunch of shooting. And Miles Turner has had to figure out how to fit into that. So the offensive numbers I don't think are ever going to be fully indicative of what he actually is capable of. 
I mean, I think in a perfect role, which whoever gets a perfect role in the NBA, I know, but I think he could easily be like a 16, 17 point a game guy that's knocking down threes and making good passes. Like I like players that make small improvements every single year. And Miles Turner's done that. And I know, cause I've watched him every year and that's not even talking about the defense. I mean, he's gotten much better on defense. He was known for being a shot blocker and he's become much better outside of that where he can guard the perimeter. He's a very good, if not one of the best help defenders in the league. So he's a guy I'm always going to love. And then Anthony Edwards, I think Anthony Edwards, like he's probably going to win a scoring title within the next five years. I don't think that's that crazy to say, maybe even sooner. I mean, you talked about how strong he is, but his, his ability to create separation on the perimeter is really beautiful to watch. Like, I kind of made comparisons to him and Harden um, earlier last season because his ability to make separation is it's it's like Harden, maybe Kemba. Like there's a, only a few guys that can really do it like him. So as he gets better, I think he's going to be unstoppable. And he's a great passer. Like he can he can make passes that really surprise you. Um, and he's got the defensive tenacity to keep up on that end, too. So I think he's going to be a superstar. Yeah, I the sky is really the limit for Edwards. Um, a lot of people in the first, you know, Edwards had a really, really bad start to the season, right? But then after Finch got there, he was like a 23-point-a-game scorer on, like, crazy good efficiency, right? Like, he was super, super good um, on offense. And you're right, on defense, he could be, you know, a t- tenacious competitor. And Anthony Edwards, you brought up the separation, he is my poster boy for we want I want running backs in my shooting guard role right as my lead scorer role like running backs or quarterbacks I think playing football is so good for you because you you know you have to develop separation especially if you like to drive to the rim right like it's so good like if you want to be a good cutter I would you know tell a guy to play soccer right nobody likes to cut off the ball but just in general I would be like okay hey the skills you need to learn to be a good cutter, you learn playing soccer, right? The skills you learn to get away from guys and to, you know, absorb contact, you get playing football. And I think I brought this up the last time I brought this up on the pod. But high school football really, I think, prepares you for a similar level of contact they let you get away with in the NBA. In the 90s, probably not, right? Like it's going to be more physical in the NBA than it would be in high school football. But right now, like the NBA, I'm not saying, you know, oh, the league is soft, the league is soft, but I'd say it's pretty similar, right? Obviously you have, you know, grown men who've been working out for 10 years, but they can't hit you the same way they used to be able to, right? Shaq used to be able to just shove you to the floor. Who's doing that anymore? That's not like Hassan Whiteside, you know, like I had, I had to get that in. Um, but I think that that and learning the angles to get separation, I think is huge. Um, Miles, your point on Miles, the shooting percentage is not looking great. He is easily the best shooter on that team. And he, I think he's proving my, another one of my theories, you know, I love my theories that your shooting percentage goes up when you're surrounded by good shooters. And in the Pacers starting lineup, who's like a good spot up shooter? Brogdon is, but he has the ball in his hands all the time. And Levert's not a good spot up shooter. Um, Sabonis isn't a good spot up shooter. So he's relegated to taking these top of the key threes that he loves taking those threes, but they aren't the best shots from three. They're not going to make your percentage look better. So I think that he suffers from that. 
And the defense is just undeniable at this point. He led the league in blocks last year, blocks per game, and he played – I think he played just enough to get him the actual blocks per game title over Rudy. So shout-out to him. I have Sexton and Rozier. I think, actually, I have one of them in this next tier. Yeah, I have Rozier in the next tier – the one that we're about to discuss. And then I have Sexton in the one after that. So we're pretty similar on them. I'll talk about them more in a second. And then obviously Barnes, we t- I had him at 76. So literally the last guy on the last podcast that we discussed. Um, yeah. Fits the role perfectly. Love the way he plays. Um, now time for my 60 through 56. So, okay. So at 60, I have Lamelo. you know, love the way he played last year. 59. I had Jeremy Grant. Um, I don't know how sustainable what he did was in Detroit last year, but I'm really curious to see if he can sustain it. 58, I have Nurkic, who we already talked about. 57, I have Michael Porter Jr. And 56, I have Rozier. So, um, Lamelo, obviously, what a... I think he and Edwards both have the ability to be generational talents. And I think that's saying something. I think Lamelo was better last year, and I think he could be better in the future as well. Just like 6'8 point guard who... He's not, he's not like Lonzo, right? Like the knock on Lonzo early in his career was that he was afraid to get in the lane and finish and go hard to the rim. Lamelo is not afraid of that. He can actually shoot. So that I think he has a huge edge on Lonzo already, right? I, that was obvious, but just in case it needed to be said again, like this point in their careers, Lamelo's easily the better player. Um, Grant showed some scoring chops again. I don't know how real that is, but I'm. Curious to see what he does next year, next decade. Nurkic, I brought up earlier. I think he reminds me a lot of Joakim, Joakim Noah, and a lot of the similar skill sets, same passing, same defense. Worse on defense than Joakim, because Joakim was really, really good on defense. But, I mean, you know, on offense, a lot of the same similarities and, like, a step down on defense. But a step down from Joakim is still pretty good. Michael Porter Jr. is really interesting. After the All-Star break, and including while Jamal Murray was playing, I think it should be noted, he was averaging like 25 points a game on insane efficiency. (laughs) But in the playoffs, he kind of took a step back. So he was a little higher for me when I first made the list. And then Rozier, um, we have him in, I think, identical spots. Not identical, but pretty close. I think that he was just really good last year, and he he was Charlotte's second best player to me. If I was going to do rankings, I'd go Hayward, Rozier, LaMelo. Personally, obviously you disagree with me. You have LaMelo, Rozier and Hayward. But I think that just the way I saw it, consistent basis, I thought that that was the pecking order for Charlotte last year. What's your biggest disagreement from my five? Well, I'll say that LaMelo and NPJ, they're going to have to wait for next pod for me. So definitely higher. And I knew I'd be higher on NPJ than you because I you've always been a doubter. And I, I have mostly joined in that, but I think I've proven on this podcast that I like a guy that can be a superstar in his role. And that's what he's been. I mean, I, his ceiling, he's proven his is crazy high and there's a lot of very variance in his game. Um, that's pretty undeniable. And so I can understand why you'd have him lower, but I just think when he's on, man, he is on. And that's why I, I feel like I had to give him the respect. And I'm actually surprised I'm higher on LaMelo than you, um, the way the past season has gone. But, you know, I, I view him and Anthony Edwards as like 1A, 1B. I think they're both going to be superstars. I think they're going to make this draft look freaking awesome because of what they're going to become. And 
I mean, LaMelo, I think people probably forget that he started off last season kind of terrible. And he saw very quick improvement as time went on. And he had an injury too, but I mean, his shooting got much better. Like the passing was obviously always good. I think his defense was much better than people expected, mostly because of his length. I think that helped him a lot. Uh, But hey, he's not going to lose that length anytime soon. So that's, and he's just going to get smarter. So I'm higher on those two guys for that reason. Jeremy Grant is in my next tier, um, so we can talk about him more when that comes around. Um, I think that covers all of five. Yeah, because we already talked about Nurkic, so there's yeah. nothing else we need. And we already talked about Rozier, so. Um, yeah, I think that Michael Porter Jr., let's just talk about him real quick. He was insanely efficient last year, and his defense got massively better. I honestly would have had him if I had a vote, he would have been my most improved player easily. Mm. Like the jump he made from year one to year two on both sides of the ball and scoring was never an issue for him. His issues have always been defense and injuries. Like that's literally been the only two concerns with him. And the defense wasn't catastrophic last year. It was still bad, (laughs) but the jumping from catastrophic to just bad I'd say is a massive jump. And then, so I looked up the, um, so the shooting efficiency for the whole season is insane. 54% from the field, 44% from three. Actually, if you round it up, it's 45% on six attempts a game. After the all-star break, it was 22 points a game on 56 and 46. (laughs) Like he is an insanely talented scorer. It's the other stuff that brings me pause. But honestly, I thought I was pretty high on him putting him at 57. Yeah, again, I get it. And trust me, I have not really been a huge fan of him as a prospect ever since the beginning. Because when you go back and watch the two games of college in the high school, it's like, okay, so he's a dunker and shooter. He, he showed no ability to pass. He showed no ability to play defense. He literally was a dunker and shooter. And, hey, playing with Jokic, being a dunker and shooter is actually a pretty good role to play. <laughs> so, I mean, his cutting has been phenomenal. I mean, and we talked about last episode with Gordon, those two cutting with Jokic and Jamal Murray spacing, it's a, just a tough offense to stop. And not having Jamal Murray this past year, obviously, is why they exited the playoffs a little bit earlier. But I just love what MPJ can be for that team and what he has been at certain times. Again, he's not like that all the time. Still don't love him as a passer. Still don't love him as a defender. But as a finisher, whether it's from the three-point line or at the rim, he's one of the best in the league. Like, he's a guy that can put the ball in the bucket and at a, in an efficient rate. And when you have a passer like Jokic, that is such a great compliment to have. If he wasn't playing with Jokic, I'd probably have him in, like, the 60s or 70s, you know. But he he is with Jokic. Like, that's just how it is. And, and he – is a great partner to him and Jamal Murray. Yeah, I. The only downside of Porter was that in the in the Sun series he kind of fell apart. He shot thirty eight percent from the field. He still shot thirty eight percent from three, which is kind of insane when your shooting percentage is that bad overall. Which means he shot like like fifteen percent from two. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just doing some like quick math. That's not great, but I mean. I feel like he could be an easy 25 point a game scorer next year. And 
if him and Jokic combine for 50 points a game and you throw in Jokic's 10 assists, there's a chance they might not miss Murray at all in the regular season. I'm just saying, I think that there's a chance. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think that there's a chance that they could mitigate his loss in the regular season. Yeah, and I'll say 38% is a lot better than what some guys do in the playoffs. I mean, we talked about Randall last episode, and we'll come back to him, but you expect a lot more out of Randall than MPJ, and obviously Randall has a much bigger role, but I mean, 38%, I'm sure a lot of guys would be like, damn, I wish I had that good of a series because I stunk it up. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, I think that's a good way to wrap up the Michael Porter Jr. discussion. And we have our last five players of the night, Dylan. We've made a lot of progress in like two hours and 15 minutes. So, um, your 55th 55th through 51st ranked players, Dylan. So this is apparently the big section of my leaderboard. I didn't really uh, plan for this, but so I already know right off the bat I'm higher. We talked about him last episode, Jared Allen. I just think Jared Allen is like the prototypical. Well, I'm not going to say the prototypical. There's some guys, namely one guy ahead of him that I'll discuss much later on. But you want a guy that can protect the rim and score on lobs. I mean, he's going to do it. And he is just a guy I've really fallen in love with. Um, Again, more with Brooklyn than Cleveland. We'll see what he becomes with Cleveland, but I just love the kid. John Collins, another guy we've talked about. I mean, the playoffs, again, as you talked about last episode, if John Collins didn't have that playoffs, he's in the 70s probably. But he had such a good series that – it's such a good playoffs in general. I mean, he went from the Hawks being like, yeah, like we'll probably trade this guy because he's going to want too much money. So being like, okay, we're going to very gladly pay you this money because if we don't, we're stupid. So that that kind of shows just how big of a playoffs he had for them. Um, and then next, Nikola Vucevic. I okay. mean, he's, he's slipped, I think, over the past few years. You know, he – if this was like 2018, I think he'd be higher, but um, he's he's kind of on the decline as a player. I'd say like kind of as you talked about with Steven Adams, like I kind of think he's starting to see the, the downfall a little bit. He's obviously never been a great defender, but he had some years where he was decent, um, at least of getting in the way, which when you're seven foot, getting in the way does a lot. Um, so... I mean, when he got traded to Chicago last year, he when when him and Levine were on the floor, they had a nice run at the end of the season. And yeah, probably a lot of their teams weren't trying at that point, so maybe it was fool's gold. But I think he's he's still a really solid player. But it just kind of the position. I mean, centers for you to be a top fifty player for me, you have to be a really phenomenal center. And I think Vucevic is very good, and I think he's one of the better offensive centers in the league. But um, again, just kind of age wise and, you know, his role is probably gonna be a little bit reduced now that they have DeMar there and and Lonzo. So probably see a small downtick for him. So I could be proven wrong. He could definitely finish higher, but we'll see the next guy. I don't know if I'm going to have to go to bat for this guy or not. Christian Wood, man, Christian Wood was literally, the third best center in the league last year before he got hurt. 
you could go back and make arguments for whoever you want, but Christian Wood, when we did our midseason All NBA, he was. I don't remember if I actually gave it to him because I think he may have been hurt at that time, but he was at least in the running for that third spot. He was phenomenal for Houston. And yes, Houston was terrible. I know, blah, 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 but he was awesome. And I think he's going to be awesome this year too. He was awesome in Detroit the year before. I mean, he is just a great player on both sides of the floor. Like he can shoot, he can dribble a little bit. He's obviously massive. He can score in the post. He's good on defense. Like, I I don't know what else you want from him. And I think he gets underrated because he kind of just came out of nowhere. Almost like your favorite center, Hassan Whiteside, who was a G League player and was all of a sudden starting for the Heat. Everyone's like, oh, who's this scrub? It's like, oh, he's only dropping 20 and 15, you know? Like, I kind of see Christian Wood the same way where he was some floater for a while and he really came out of nowhere and started balling. And people don't really respect it because it's like, oh, it's probably just a a hot streak, but I think he proved last year that he's much better than just a hot streak. And then the last guy, Jeremy Grant, you already talked about. I think I believe in his scoring more than you, namely because the year before in Denver, I think he at that point made massive strides as a scorer already, but because of role, we didn't really see it. But at times they would give him the ball at the end of games to go score. Like, because we know Jokic has been at times a little passive. He wants to pass the ball, and he's gotten better. But he there was times he's like, hey, Jeremy Grant, like you can get to the bucket, go. Like I'm going to give you the ball, go get a bucket for us. And he did. He had a lot of game. I think there was a playoff game, actually, where he like saved them. I, I don't have um, – my memory that far back is bad, but there was a playoff game I remember in Denver where he was like their only reliable option on offense. So I believe in his scoring more than you. I think Detroit, you know, it's not going to be the same this year. I think it's going to probably be Isaiah Thomas Celtics year where Isaiah Thomas scored 25 points. It's like, he's never doing that again. I think it's the same with Jeremy Grant this year, but I still think he could be like, he could probably be a third option on like a pretty good team. If, if he were to get traded. So what you're referring to in the Lakers series, he had in the last three games, 26, 17, and 20 points in those games three through five. They won game three and they lost games two and or games four and five. Um, yeah, I think if he gets down to like 18 to 22, I don't think that's a bad thing for him at all. I don't think that might be a good thing for the Pistons. <laughs> if Cade's the real deal, which obviously, you know, he's going to have high expectations just simply based on how Edwards and Lamelo played last year. It's going to be unfair, probably. Same with Green and Mobley and Suggs. And I think Scotty Barnes actually has less expectations and it's good for him. But yeah, I mean, if he takes a, like a little bit of a reduced role, that's not a bad thing for him, right? And if he goes back to more spot-up shots rather than pull-ups, I think that'll be good for him in his diet rather than just, you know, I'm pretty sure five of those six threes a game were pull-ups rather than spot-ups. There was no one else on that Detroit team creating shots. And, you know, they have more offensive depth this year. They have Kelly Olynyk. They have um, Steak and Steak and Killian Hayes are going to take a step forward going next year. Like they have a lot of young talent on that team. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if he takes like a, a marginal step back. If he takes like 15 shots a game instead of 17. Um, Let's see who else we got. We already talked about Alan. We already talked about Collins. I actually have Wood in the exact same spot. <laughs> Funny enough. So 
that's pretty funny actually you were like i don't know if, if i have to go to bat for this guy or not i think that wood was great last year um all nba yeah he was all nba consideration for me in the first half for sure i mean but then towns took him took over him for me in the second half but that's that's not wood's fault he got hurt in the rocket season tanked and then he came back and he didn't really make much of a difference when he came back but Steven Silas, I'm really excited to see a full year of him with Jalen Green, with, you know, all the other prospects they added. I want to see how he fits next to the Shingoon kid. I'm really curious to see the Rockets. I'm actually, if you'd asked me immediately after the Harden trade, which team is the bleakest situation in the league, I'd say the Rockets. And right now I'd say they're in a pretty good spot talent-wise. And then Vucevic. (laughs) I have Vucevic in the top 50. I'm probably lower on him than some people as well. I thought I was low on him personally for where I have him. He's in the top 45 for me. Um, you're, I totally see where you're coming from though. Like it's not the same Vooch that was in like 2018, 19. He was a really good scorer last year, but how much of that is empty gyms? And how much of that is just, you know, no fans. I, I'll be curious to see. And plus the reduced role with all the, mouths to feed in in Chicago. Like, I don't know how he's going to do. It's just a spot up shooter, right? He might be relegated to that. Like we saw Chris Bosh really struggle with that when and Kevin Love and Kevin Love. Exactly. I think Kevin Love is actually probably a more pertinent example than Chris Bosh. But I think that the reduced role might not be good for him, but then, you know, and he doesn't really mitigate those concerns by bringing it on defense either. He's probably the worst defensive center that's on this list. <laughs> I don't really yeah. think it's close. Like Orlando had Jonathan Isaac to cover for him. And you have Patrick Williams on your list. You have him at 90th. No offense to Patrick Williams. He is not Jonathan Isaac. He, and it's unfair to expect him to be Jonathan Isaac. So I think that their defense is really going to struggle next year. I think they're going to give up a lot of points a game. I don't know why. I would have kept Thad over keeping over getting DeMar, and I'm being 100% earnest about that. I think he fit their team better. I don't – I'm not saying Thad is a better player than DeMar. I just think the fit doesn't make much sense to me. But I think that they're going to score a lot of points. How they get those points, I'll be really curious to see. I mean, yeah, it's fascinating because, God, man, we just raved about Zach Levine last year, which, you know, we're talking about Michael Porter Jr., kind of the growth we've had with him. But, God, Zach Levine was like a laughing stock at one point. I mean, remember when the Kings offered him four years and I think it was 17 million per year and we're like, oh, my God, the Bulls were stupid enough to match that. And this dude was one of the most efficient players in the league last year. Like he, okay, he was great from three, but from two, he was shooting 60% from two at one point. Like that's what, that's, I think he ended up finishing a little bit lower than that, but that's what centers do. I mean, there's not a lot of guards in the league that are scoring 60% from two. He was phenomenal. And the Bulls, you know, they didn't really finish like in the playoff hunt or anything. But that was not Zach Levine's fault. Like, he he was the only guy on that team worth a damn, basically. And and I'm happy that they've, you know, used some assets up and some cap space to finally surround him with good talent. Maybe they've gone a little bit too far. Um, you know, I, I 
I think DeMar is going to be good for them, but sending Thad and a first out, I'm not a fan of that. We've talked about that already, but it's, it's going to be interesting. I We talked about Lonzo in the last episode too, and DeMar I'm sure is coming up for both of us. I mean, it, it's it's going to be an interesting team, and I, I definitely think the biggest loser is probably going to end up being Busevich. Yeah. Actually, let's just go ahead and transition to my five because DeMar is coming up. So at 55, mm. I have OG. OG Ananobi. At 54, what? I have a guy that we already mentioned, Colin Sexton. I'm shocked that you're higher in OG than I am. I'm absolutely shocked. Way um, higher. F- 53, I have DeMar DeRozan. 52, I have Christian Wood. Then 51, I have Mikhail Bridges. So we already talked about Bridges on the last episode. You had him at, let's do some quick math here. You had him at 77. I had him at 51. I thought he was really good in the playoffs. We just talked about Christian Wood. We talked about Sexton. Um, OG, I mean, listen, I love defensive players, and OG is just the definition of a defensive player. Plus, he's got some offensive pop, right? And I'll be curious to see. I think we'll talk about him more later. I'm curious to see where you have him exactly. Um, Demar, let's talk about him now. And we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on Demar because we have you have him later too. I would have Demar higher if he could either shoot or play defense. He can't do both, right? Demar is elite at scoring, getting his own shot, and creating shots for others. Okay, not elite at creating his own shot for others. But he's about the best you could do without being elite, right? I just think that he has too many holes in his game to and like to rank him any higher than 53 because he's he's really good, right? I'm not disputing that. It would be foolhardy for me to say, oh, you know, DeMar DeRozan sucks. I'm I've actually long been an admirer of his game. And he added pieces to his game in San Antonio by becoming a better passer. I just think that if he could if he was more willing not more willing if he could actually make his own shots from the outside and then, or, 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 or if he could sh- play defense at like a average level, I think he would be a top 25 player, but I, I just don't think he can do either of those things well at all. And I think that's what holds him back for me. You know, this is funny doing this podcast with you because I think we end up talking each other into guys we like and then we end up actually liking that player more than the other person. Like, I feel like I've kind of done that with bridges with you. And I know you liked bridges a lot too, but I mean, I feel like the whole Chris Middleton comp really got you excited. And now he's way higher on your list than mine. And OG man, I'm telling you, I think, I, I think you're going to be shocked where I have him. Cause it's, it's, we still got a ways to go. Um, Damar is not too far off, but I just love him as like an offensive hub. And I just, I, the reason I wanted him to go to Chicago is because I would love for Levine to be on the ball more than anyone, but he's great off ball too. And I think that's why he's become such a favorite of ours is that not only is he a great on ball scorer, but he's also a great cutter. Uh, he's a great off ball shooter. And I think him playing off Tamar and Lonzo, we saw Lonzo a lot as a off ball shooter this past season, which I'm not a fan of, but he can do it. So that's good. Um, I think Tamar is going to rack up a ton of assists this season. And I mean, we've talked a lot about it, but his passing in San Antonio has just taken like five steps up, you know, like Toronto, he was really never known for his passing, but San Antonio, he has become an awesome passer. 
obviously mid-range, he's amazing. And yeah, like the three-point shooting's not there, the defense isn't there. Um, but when I get to him, like I think I can make a good case for him being higher because the guys behind him all have pretty big flaws in my mind too. And his ability as an on-ball creator, I think, just kind of outweighs um, the the downsides for him. There's one thing I've learned about your season players tonight, Dylan Hughes, is that on-ball creation is probably your most favored skill set. Whereas I, I think my, you're, I'm curious to see. Let's just talk about that now. Just based on the 40 or in the 50 players we've talked about tonight, what's your biggest takeaway from my taste in players in top one in the top 100? I mean, you definitely love the nitty gritty, which I love too. Like the fact that you have Thad and not me kind of showcases it right there. Like I love the nitty gritty, but this game is about points. That's why I always go to creation because ranking players is different from saying, hey, here's a team and we need to get a bunch of bench players. Like who you want to add? You know, if you're building a team from scratch, the the things shift like if I have two good guards on my team, I'm not going to take DeMar over like, I don't know, Terry Rozier or even Darius Garland, because those guys can shoot like it, it gets a lot different when you're just saying, hey, this individual talent, what how do they fit into the league and what can they offer a team? Not considering situation much, and I, I I did consider situation a bit, but I tried to isolate the player as much as I can, and I it's about points, and that's why again Kyle Anderson didn't make my list. Like I love a guy that can get the ball in the bucket, and I love I love Kyle Anderson, I love that young, but they're going to score twelve points a game, and that's very valuable to a team because they can play defense and they can pass and they can do other stuff. But when we're just talking about solo isolation, who do you like, who do you want on some theoretical team? I'm always going to lean towards scoring and I'm going to give that more weight than some of the other characteristics. Well, I think you'll see my scoring bias lean towards the top 50. Like I say a good amount of the guys in my top 50, like I have CJ McCollum in the top 50 for that exact reason. Right? Like I think if you throw him on a team with, let's just say, you throw him on a team with DeJounte Murray, right? I think mm. that team gets better. I think yeah. if the Spurs traded for CJ McCollum, they get better right now. And just because that added element of scoring, I just think, you know, personally, in like the second or in the third tier of players, I think you could get, like, I think you would get a Jordan Clarkson. There's a lot of guys who can do what Jordan Clarkson can do around the league, right? Yeah. My thing is, it's like, how many guys can do how many guys are good at the exact skills that Jay Crowder is good at, right? We I, we didn't spend much time on Jay Crowder, but he's a good ball mover. He's a good shooter. Not like a great shooter and not a great passer, but he does the things you need him to do to win. And it's just like, there's not a lot of those guys who have that exact skill set. And it's why, it's why, I know they keep getting traded everywhere, but it's like, it's why they are so valuable. It's like, every team needs a guy like that to win. And yeah, obviously you default towards stars and then you go further down the list, right? There's a reason why the Hawks have seven of these guys and the Nets are, that's a bad example. I I don't think either of us has named a Laker yet, right? Obviously when you're building towards a team, you default towards the stars, but 
and we're gonna i guarantee we're both gonna either name lakers in the next podcast actually i'm gonna book that we're gonna name a laker in the next podcast (laughs) and you can probably figure out who that is but i think that you know scoring i just i think i value more of an all-around game rather than and i understand it right basketball in its purest form is just buckets right like you need to put the ball in the basket to win. But I think, I don't know. It's, it's real interesting. And I think you'll see in the top 25, the bucket getter mentality reflected more, more immediately. But I think we're done for this pod, Dylan. I think this was really fun because this was, I think this is the first legitimate disagreement we've had ever, like in the Pascal Siakam discussion. And it's really fun. You know, I, I don't hate you. I mean, I, I do, but don't tell anybody. Um, I think that, that was a really good discussion, but it's time for plugs. Um, no pressure, finding happiness in a fear-driven world. All right, I'm sick of this shit. All right, I've only promoted this book four times now, and I'm already sick of it. All right, I'm listen. This is what I'm going to do. Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to your local mechanic. I'm going to tell them that. No, <laughs> never mind. That one, that one was bad. Um, let's let's start over. Let's say I'm going to go to your local BMV and I'm going to take, I'm going to pull all the tickets, right? I'm going to find out when you need to, when your license plate needs to be renewed, I'm going to go to the BMV. I'm going to pull all the tickets. I'm going to make you wait all day to get your license renewed. If you don't buy no pressure, finding happiness in a fear driven world. How was how that one, Dylan? Okay. I like the idea of it, but it personally doesn't hit me like the shopping cart one did. Cause I just renew all my stuff online. So you could tell me, hey, I just pulled all the tickets. Good luck. And like, okay, I'll just pull up the fucking BMV website then. Thanks. I, I think if you're talking to an older audience, and by the way, if we have any seniors listening to a, a top 100 NBA podcast, man, I can't wait to be you one day because you're killing it. Um, and this this threat is probably going to impact you a lot more than me. But I will say me personally does not hit the same way. But I, I appreciate the effort and the idea. I can see the the pain of that situation, but me personally does not really hurt too much. You know, I, I can't I can't do anything but respect that. Um, let's just rapid fire through the rest of these. Divine Rhyme, they're gonna be re- reacting to the new Sturgill Simpson album. This will be out um, on Monday the 19th or the 20th, Monday the 20th. So you're gonna, that'll Thank be- Thank you very much. Do you say that's your birthday? Yes, that's right. Happy. So, okay. When you're listening to this, you're going to wish a happy birthday to Dylan Hughes and you're going to, as a birthday present to him, going to buy finding happiness. I can't even remember. I'm, (laughs) I'm so bad. What's the name of the book again? No pressure. Finding happiness in a fear driven world. I'm feeling all the pressure right now for fucking up your book's name, my friend. So buy his book for his birthday. I thought this book title was easier than the last one. But the whole subtitle, that's what really throws it off. Yes. Yes, it does. So make sure from one young soul to another, you know, buy that book too. Buy both of his books. Wish him a happy birthday. Um, And make sure you check out also the Divine Rhyme, the Sturgill Simpson episode. That'll be fun. Um, Lynn Sanity, you'll be back for week two on Circle City Cinema. Zach, Bryce, and I will be doing um, superhero movie draft. And then Triple Ocean Pass will be recording another week. I don't know what's in store for next week's uh, college football slate, but I'm sure it'll be fun. And I'm sure you'll want to listen to Ryan Gregory and Devin Voss break it down. Dylan, we've done a lot today. It's been productive. Thank you so much for doing this and joining me. (laughs) 
Thank you. Thank you.